0: ready for the Word today? Open up your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to open with the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes, multiplying the bread and the fish, feeding the 5,000. So let's open in verse 13. When Jesus heard it, He departed from there by boat and a deserted place by Himself. And the multitudes heard it, they followed Him on foot from the cities. So Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, and He was moved with compassion for them. And He healed the sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to Him and said, This is a deserted place. The hour is late. Send the multitudes away. "...that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food." And Jesus said to them, "...they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat." And they said to him, "...we have here only five loaves and two fish." And he said, "...well, bring them here to me." And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed and broke, and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitudes." And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets of the fragments that remained. They had doggy bags to go <laughs> leftovers. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Oh, I feel the Lord in here right now. Let's pray. Father in Jesus' name, we just yield to you. Holy Spirit move in this place today we're here for the bread of life we're here for the river of living water holy spirit if you don't show up then that can't happen and we give you full permission to move in this place to mess with our lives mess with us do whatever you need to do god to put us into position to hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see today i pray that you just use me anoint me god in the moments ahead to bring forth the message that you've put in my heart God, in a message of truth, that will change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What a great story. Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish. I mean, this is a bona fide miracle. Right? I mean, they didn't stretch the crumbs out and everybody had a little piece. There was something miraculous happening with that bread and that fish as they were handing it out. It just kept multiplying. And it never ran out. In fact, after everybody ate and were filled, they had leftovers. Twelve baskets in this particular case. And there is a a lesson in this story that I want to focus on today that has to do with principles of multiplication or principles of supernatural provision. let me ask you this. Are you living your life right now from a place of supernatural supply, or from natural supply. Because we can live from either place. We can have a supply to meet our needs and do the things we want to do that is just natural, things that we see that are available, and we operate within that. Or we can operate from a place of supernatural supply, that when God is blessing and touching it, it just continues to multiply. And it continues to grow and expand when it's in our hands. And I know that there are a lot of people, even in the church, who struggle and live over and over in in seasons, extended seasons, from a place of lack or scarcity. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't supposed to be content in all things. We are. We know that. One truth never negates another, okay? We know that we're supposed to be content in all things. We know that we are able to abase or abound, but at the same time, we also know Jesus said, "I've come that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly." He said that you would have these, these supplies, th- this grace would be pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. He said that I provide every resource that you would ever need so that there is, get this an abundance. For every good work that he's calling us to do. And so the, the life of a believer, of a follower of God, ought to be marked by a life that supernatural provision, multiplication, and abundance is just like flowing out of the reservoir and supply line of heaven right into our lives and bursting over. That there's limitless supply, and that there is an abundance. So let's look at this for a second and see what are some of the things that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. Because this same situation happens again. Anytime something happens more than once, Jesus is trying to really drive a lesson home that usually they haven't quite picked up on the first time. Anybody else? Jesus have to teach you something twice? Three times, seven times, okay? It just works that way. Thank God he's patient and long-suffering. I need that, you know? But this happens a second time. But let's let's look at the story for a second. How does Jesus get into this situation? It says if you track through the stories in the Gospels, um, first Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and he's rejected there by his own people. And then it says that he starts to go around to the different cities and towns and villages, and he starts ministering and healing the sick and teaching people. It says he goes on a circuit. So Jesus was on tour. I think that's pretty cool, right? Um, So Jesus is on tour. He's going around on a circuit, and he's ministering, and he comes to this place of Capernaum, which is in Galilee on the sea, as like his home base of operations. This is like where they ended up landing most of the time when they would get back from journeys. And while he's in Capernaum, um, he gets news that John the Baptist has been killed. You know, remember John the Baptist, right? Got his head cut off. Herod did cut his head off. And so Jesus gets news that this has happened, and he's deeply grieved. So it says Jesus goes to the other side of the sea, and he goes up onto a mountain, up on a hill, in a deserted place, and he begins to pray. He's grieving over the loss of his friend. And... What happens when he leaves, the way that the Sea of Galilee is laid out, like you can, you can see across it, and you can see the mountains on the other side. At any point, you can kind of look across and see the other end, unless it's a hazy day, but it's, it's really a sight to behold. So Jesus goes across, he gets out of the boat, he goes up on the hillside and it says that these people that he was just with, that he was ministering to, that he was serving, that he was healing, all these things, I mean, duh, they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave Jesus to be away, they don't want to be away from Jesus. So they see him go up on the hill and it says that they ran by foot all the way around. Let's not underestimate this part of the story. Like people were going willing to do whatever they had to do to just get to close to Jesus while they had him with him, you know. And so they go all the way around and they get, they come up to this place where Jesus is on the hill and he sees the multitudes and it says this. It says he has compassion for them. Now when you study that word compassion, it means to be deeply moved to a point of action. Isn't that something? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we see that move us, but not necessarily do they always move us to action, willing to do something about what we're seeing. And that's what happens for Jesus. He sees this. He's moved with compassion. And so he says to the disciples, well, let's, let's feed the people. They're hungry. And the disciples, they say, this is point number one that can be a hindrance to supernatural provision or multiplication is that they immediately identify with the lack. They immediately look to the natural availability instead of looking beyond to the supernatural potential of supply. They look and they say, well, there's, there's five loaves and there's two fish. Now, you don't have to be a math whiz to figure this one out. It says there's 5,000 men, men alone actually, and then there's women and children. So scholars will tell you that most likely if the average family was a size of four, you've got 20,000 people out here. That's a pretty big crowd. That's a pretty big buffet line to try to make preparations for. Now if the average family size was my family size, (laughs) there would be 40,000 people out there. You saw all those kids in first in the services last week that we prayed for, right? And both of those, all those kids, comes like a third of our service last week was all these kids. I feel like we at Life Church X are single handedly trying to solve the social security dilemma. <laughs> we are going to get more people paying in in this next generation that are drawing out. No matter what we have to do about that. Your thank you, you're welcome, Washington. All right. We've got the answer so <laughs> so they immediately begin to identify with the lack instead of what the potential is let me just make this point when God has a need when there is a need that God wants to use us to fill rarely does the natural supply ever match the need that God wants to use us to fill. Because faith is required. It's impossible to please God without faith. You realize he's just as interested in growing your faith as he is the other parts of the work that he's up to doing. And so the supply if you look at in the natural will rarely ever match the need, the the compassion, the movement in your heart that God is doing to act on something and meet a need. You may get moved, you may get provoked by God's Spirit to do something, but if you look and you say, well here's the need, oh here's what I have, and then you back off of what God is just getting ready to try to get started in doing in and through your life. We can't identify with the lack, we have to identify with the supernatural provision. The other thing that the disciples did, which is point number two that can hinder multiplication, supernatural provision in our lives, is they began to look inwardly to, to, to just what they could uh, meet their own needs. They said, look, remember what they said? Let's send them away. Let's send them into the village, Jesus. There's too many of them, Jesus. We've got enough here. If, we make re- if we're really frugal with, this, with these five loaves and these two fish, Jesus, we could probably all have a decent little meal and tide us over until tomorrow. They're looking at their own situation. This could meet our own needs, but there's no way, God, how are we ever going to do anything about these other people? We've got to send them away, Jesus. We've got to send them away. And what does Jesus say? Why would we send them away? He says, why would we send them away? There's a need. In the Gospel of Mark, his account of this story, it said that Jesus was saddened because he says that these are people that are like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, he wasn't just worried about them having dinner that night. He was concerned that they had all kinds of needs. They are spiritually starving and hungry, and there's really nowhere else they're going to go to get filled. And Jesus says, no, we don't, we don't need to send them away. We're going to meet this need. We're going to do it here and now. And I'm going to show you how we're going to do it. Bring me what you have. Bring me the five loaves and the two fish. They bring it up to Jesus and he, what does he do? He touches it. Puts his hands on it. He blesses it and he breaks it. When Jesus' hand comes on anything that is happening in our lives and he takes control, he blesses it, guess what? It grows, it expands, healthy things grow. And God is always into increase in what he's doing in our lives. But if we don't let him put his hand to it, if we're identifying with the lack instead of the supernatural provision, he's saying, look, he's trying to demonstrate that they need to have faith. He's trying to demonstrate for them that they need to see this and then look beyond it into what is possible to pull in from the spirit realm what God can do to invade and collide with the natural and overwhelm it. That's what he's trying to get them to see. But they're identifying with the lack. And look, if we're honest, how many times have we ever been in a situation where we want to do something, we want to step out, we want to you know, go meet a need or whatever, and then you kind of like look back and you get into almost like this self-destructive mode. You're like, well, I, can't, I mean, I can't do that. I don't have, I mean, there's not even enough here. It's, it's never going to work. How's that going to work? Oh, it's not going to happen, right? And we get in like this downward spiral. We start prophesying over our own life and our own situation, lack and scarcity when we serve a God who is the king of a heavenly realm that's an abundant kingdom. Yeah. How does that happen, right? Well, because we're people. Because we're people and we're humans. And it happened to the disciples just the same way. Because here you fast forward just a little bit later, they come along and they're back to a spot in a region where there's 4,000 people now instead of 5,000. And the same thing happens all over again. And Jesus is like, hey, do you not remember this whole scene? Don't you remember how this thing went down? You're, and then this time they actually have seven loaves and a few fish, not five and two. And so Jesus is like, look, don't you understand? It's not about what is naturally available. It's like, what can happen when I put my hand to it? And there's a need here that we're going to meet. But he says, as they leave this place, after they feed the 4,000, the disciples, this is funny, they head across the sea to the other side, and they say, oh, we forgot the bread. They forgot the bread on the other side. And they're talking about it, and Jesus says, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He knows! He knows! We forgot it! And Jesus like, that's not what I'm talking about. He's like, did you not see what happened? I'm not worried about if you brought the bread or not in the leftover baskets. Like, I can multiply the stuff. He says, that's not what I'm talking about. What's the leaven of the Pharisees? It's the doctrine of the Pharisees that was all designed for self-serving purposes. You see, they got fat on the calf. They lived high on the hog because they looked at the people who were in need and who were the less elite as people who were serving them instead of them serving the people. And it was completely backwards. Let me just remind you, Jesus said, he who is servant of all, he's the greatest in the kingdom. That we are servants... We are not here to be served. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because if you start looking at how all the things around you in the supply that's available is supposed to meet your need, it's supposed to serve you, then you're going to immediately take your eyes off of what I want you to see, which is how there's an infinite supply that is available to meet the needs of all these people around you that I want to use you to make an impact at. That's the place that we need to operate out of. A place of faith in knowing that if God calls us to do it, if he moves our heart with compassion, then he has a plan to provide everything that's needed for that. It doesn't mean that you won't step back and say, oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I've surveyed the situation and I don't know, but there's there's just a total difference in speaking to lack or speaking to abundance in those moments right there. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to do it because he's leading us there. And there's a limitless supply that flows out of a heavenly realm that that goes into a place of abundance for all God's children who trust him and he provides for them. And And we move toward that place instead of the lack. And that is where faith is required, is in that gap. And then we see God move and his hand comes upon it and it blesses it and it multiplies it. It happened two times, and Jesus said, you, you have to understand this lesson. And here's, to me, this is the huge key, is it was never about them to begin with. I mean, it was never about them having a, a great big meal and Jesus multiplying it so that they could have more food or have a better meal. It was all about the multitude who were there. It was about this huge need of people who were hungry, spiritually and physically. And Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them. We're going to feed them the bread of life, and we're going to feed them food for today that will satisfy their bellies as well. And guess what? They ate, and they were full, and they had leftovers. This is always how God works. We get filled, we're full, and everybody else around is full because we're using God's supply to do the work he's called us to and then there's abundance there's leftovers even beyond that and all of our needs are met but we're also able to meet the needs of others around us this is the mandate for the church this is the commission for God's people to serve the needs of the people around us in the world spiritually and physically that we would help them and in, in moments where there's practical needs that we can meet those so that they can meet Jesus and then they can grow up strong spiritually to be who God's created them to be and then they can bring that to other people as well. It's the mandate of the church. And when the church fails to do this, it becomes totally irrelevant. It becomes totally irrelevant in any generation if the body of Christ isn't going beyond themselves and meeting the needs of the communities and of the people who are hurting, who are lost, who are dying, who are ill-enfranchised around them. And God says, I've given you an abundant supply so you can do that. Go do that. Be externally need-driven. Have faith for what I will provide and bring, and then move into that place and watch how I multiply the provision that's in your hand. It goes all the way back, this, this mandate, to the promise that God gave to Abraham originally in the book of Genesis. I, I want to show you this because this is powerful. You have to really get grounded in your theology around this that God is meant for you to have abundance so that you can be a blessing to other people. All right? So open up to Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to read in verses 2 and 3. This is the time that the first time God repeats this to Abraham several times over. This is the first time he declares the promise to Abraham. You ready? It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Hey, that's awesome. We all love that. I'll, I'll bless you. You'll have plenty. I'll make your name great. You'll have influence, right? You'll, you'll, you'll be able to be influential around you to people. He says, I will will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Here you go. And you shall be a blessing. You see the implication right there. He says it again. He says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. But in you, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, he had this plan, this promise for abundance and for blessing but it was so they could be a blessing. And it's the promise that God has for us as well. I want to prove that to you. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you are Christ's, so if you're born again of the Spirit, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He says before that, he says, in the kingdom of God, there's, not, there's neither Jew or Greek. There's neither male or female, slave nor free. We're all one. And because you've been united in Christ, then you are heirs with Abraham according to the promise. Do you see that? that the, the promise to bless Abraham you so that you can be a blessing is transferable all the way down to the lineage of christ which is all of his children and that means us that that is a promise that god has for us and if we will live to be a blessing open-handed not trying to be in preservation mode and worried about meeting our own needs and like getting a, a scarcity mode of operation but if we're open-handed and like, I'm living to give because it's just going to keep coming in. It's just going to keep flowing in and I'll be able to continue doing all that God's called me to do. He said to the children of Israel, this is your mandate. And he says to his church, this is your mandate. We are called to be blessed so that we can be a blessing and when we live that way guess what multiplication and supernatural provision is the well that we draw from instead of the well of limitation and lack and scarcity which is in the natural I do not want to live from a place of supply in the natural I want to live from a place of supply that comes from the supernatural realm and God has made a way praise God he's made a way I remember whenever uh, a couple year two ago Katie and I were outside doing some yard work at the house, and uh, the kids were all inside playing downstairs, and all of a sudden, they come flying out, several of them, you know, screaming all in a panic, and that's never good. You know, you're usually like, ugh. Oh. Your heart stops for a moment, and it's like everybody's got all their digits and aren't, okay, we're good. All right, everybody's safe, so now what is it? And they're like, Dad, Dad, you know, we were downstairs playing, and they, they ride those little, you know, those scooters, and we let them ride around in the basement because it's a concrete floor. And they were riding their scooters. are like, Dad, we, we ran into the water pipes and water's going everywhere. So, you know, I'm like, I ah, can't, can't be as bad as they're saying. And, and we have a, a cistern and a pressurized system. So there's like tons of pressure coming through the lines that come into the house right there in the corner of the basement. So I go inside and I start going down the steps. And as soon as I do, I hear what sounds like Niagara Falls down there. I'm like, oh no. And I get down and it's just spraying like a fire hose, like a geyser just blasting everywhere. I mean, the whole basement, the ceiling, the walls, I've never seen anything like it. It was just like, it was just coming out of the ground and it was going everywhere. I run over and I shut off the main line, you know, and finally stop it. And I started thinking, I'm like, that's interesting. I shut it off, but any time that I wanted to do that, it could just explode and it could just be everywhere. I think that we live with the potential for explosive growth capacity, but sometimes we never live to be the blessing and step into the faith realm, and so we never tap that thing to see it explode and grow the way the potential actually exists for. But I think God's saying we, He wants us to live in a place of faith knowing we can trust Him and step out and watch and see what He does. In the Old Testament, when you go back, they ha- there was something that was known as the blessing of the firstborn. Now, it speaks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Now, here's how this worked. Father would have a number of sons. And the firstborn son would get the firstborn blessing. But, firstborn did not always mean order. It could have meant rank. Let me explain if the firstborn son in order disgraced the father in any way, then the firstborn blessing would actually pass to another son. And even if it was the second or third son in line, if he was the one that was blessed, he was called the, he was called the firstborn in position of rank, not necessarily order. Case in point, Jacob had 12 sons. The fourth son was Judah. First son was Reuben, and then there was Levi and Simeon. All three of those first few sons disgraced their father with acts of wickedness. And when Jacob was dying toward the end of Genesis, and he's blessing his sons, it says that he gave Judah the blessing of the firstborn. Why is that important? Because the firstborn blessing, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 21, was a double portion. All the children got blessed. But those who got the firstborn blessing got a double portion. Why? Was it just because they were elite? Was it so they could rub it in their siblings' faces? Was it so they could have a better life than their siblings? No. There was one reason, and one reason alone for the firstborn blessing being a double portion. It was because the firstborn accepted the responsibility of firstborn status, which meant to care for the rest of the father's family. He was double blessed because he had increased responsibility. And caring for the rest of the father's family was what that double portion was for. And if he disgraced the father, if he wasn't prepared to accept responsibility or use it for that, then the double portion firstborn blessing did not come upon him. But if he was willing to accept responsibility, say, I'm going to take care of my father's family. I'm going to take care of the servants, of the people. I'm going to be a steward of all of this that I'm inheriting And he would accept the firstborn blessing and the double portion would supply his ability to meet those needs. Do you see where we're going with this today? Listen, it says in the book of Colossians that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. It says he is the firstborn raised from the dead. So Jesus, in two ways, was firstborn. One, over all creation, which is rank. He is preeminent and he's above everything. But it also refers to him as firstborn as raised from the dead because whenever he was resurrected, he was the first one to die, the body to die physically and be resurrected to a new body. And it says that he's the firstborn of many brethren, which Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that we will all get new bodies and we will all be resurrected. It says that there's a resurrection of the dead. This is interesting. This is just a side point I find fascinating. It says that in John chapter 5, that all those who are in the grave, one day when the last trumpet sounds, Paul refers to this happening at that time, that all those who are in the grave will hear the sound and they will be resurrected. Those who've done good, resurrected to life. And those who've done bad, the resurrection of condemnation. New bodies fitted for spirits for the eternal realm, whether it's in heaven or in hell. And Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection to receive new bodies for the heavenly realm. And we will all follow after Him. But he goes even further, because when you get into Hebrews, I know I'm treading some deep water right now, just hang with me. When you get into Hebrews, it says that all of those who are registered in heaven, who is that? That's God's people, His saints. It's the people who've accepted Christ and whose names are now written in the Lamb's book of life. It says, all who are registered in heaven are the church of the firstborn. That means that we, as co-heirs with Christ by rightful inheritance, have the right to the firstborn status, which is a double Portion, a multiplication growth if we will accept the responsibility, the mandate of meeting the needs of God's people, of His family in a lost and hurting world around us. And we will not look inwardly to our own need. We will not look at the lack in the natural. We will see the need of God's people and we will tap the double portion blessing that is right by inheritance to us as children, as members of the church of the firstborn. Wow, it just blows me away. God says, look, I'll give this to you, but I'll, I'll give you this kind of growth, this kind of multiplication, if what? you'll accept responsibility if you'll accept the responsibility of the firstborn status because if you're just going to live inwardly if you're just going to live for yourself then the double portion didn't come that wouldn't happen for those sons so he says if you'll accept the mandate and go out and take care of my people guess what you're going to see growth in multiplication i was going through this graph with you guys earlier in this in our church in the Numbers and all that. And I'm so convinced that we have seen this happen because as a church, we have accepted responsibility to care for God's people. Because we want to meet the needs of our community. And we want to do it in a supernaturally provided for way. Not just scarcity mentality but we are willing to go and serve the lost and see the sick healed and pray for people who are in need and and provide services to people who have practical needs and all these things. And if that ever changes, then the growth that we are seeing, I'm convinced, will change as well. But if the church is willing to accept the responsibility of caring for God's people, for the people out there in the world then the supply will continue to come and the growth is inevitable. But there's this story I want to close with in the book of Isaiah chapter uh, 58 where the people of Israel, they're fasting. But they're fasting for all the wrong reasons. And it's a fast that God doesn't accept because of where their hearts are actually at. And he uses the prophet Isaiah to speak to them and offer this message of how to get their hearts in the right place. So let's read in chapter 58, verse 3. It says, this is the people crying out to God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bull brush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord?" Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh." You see, the people, they were all caught up in this, this fast. They were all caught up in this self-righteous place. Like, we're crying out, God. We're fasting. We're doing all these things. And God uses the prophet Isaiah to deliver a message to them. And he says, look, this is not the fast that I'm looking for. You've let the hungry go hungry. You've let the naked be unclothed. You're exploiting your laborers. You're not taking care of my people. How in the world can you think you're going to see me move, you're going to hear from heaven, I'm going to bless you if you're neglecting all of these responsibilities that I've already mandated and commissioned you with to fill? And then and they, and they have to have their hearts pierced to see, wow, I, they're not doing what God is wanting them to do, what He's calling them to do. And what I absolutely love is a picture that God gives us, that Jesus gives us of His church which is when we are meeting the needs of the world around us and and meeting the spiritual and physical needs, that God's hand, just like that bread, His hand comes upon it, He blesses it, and it multiplies. And the church becomes incredibly relevant. Incredibly relevant in that generation and in that day and time which is the picture we see the church is supposed to reflect. That the world around us is improved dramatically in every part of society because of the church's function and operation in that community. To the point where if the church went away, the community would feel a void that would shake them. Not if the church went away, it wouldn't even matter. That is an irrelevant picture of what the church is supposed to be. But when the church is meeting the needs and their supernatural supply that's flowing in, the entire atmosphere and community is impacted by that, and we are functioning in the mandate and the commission that God has set upon His people. Folks, I pray today that you take your place as a rightful heir to that firstborn status. That there is a multiplication growth, a blessing that God wants to put upon you if you will accept the responsibility of living outwardly, living outside of ourselves, not operating from a place of lack or a place of self-focus but realizing that there are needs all over the place and we serve a limitless God with an infinite supply and He wants to bless us in a way where there is explosive growth in every way that we need it so that we can meet those needs that He's calling us to fill. Amen? So I started with a question and I'll end with the question. I'll ask our team to come on back up here now. You know, do you feel like when you look at your life, that you are living from a place of supply? Is there growth? Is there multiplication? Is there an abundance of resources? Are there 12 bags of leftovers that you're taking home every time you go out to eat? Or do you feel like it's just barely getting by, barely making ends meet, Always coming up short, never seeming to have enough to do the things you want to do, meet the needs you want to meet, that God's putting on your heart. I pray today that God would give you a sense of purpose, a sense of responsibility for stepping out and operating in the place of supernatural provision. and God would begin to increase and multiply All the resources that are available, not so that you can be blessed alone, but so that you can be blessed to be a blessing.